Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Computer Weekly Downtime Upload Podcast. I'm Cliff Sarin and my guest today is Pierre Plough, who is the open source tech lead at Spotify. Now you've been in the open source community for what, what seems like a, uh, over a decade, at least, at least from what I'm reading here, Pierre. How have you seen the use of open source software evolve? Oh, it's been it's been quite an interesting thing to cha- see the change over time. And I think when I started in open source, there was still this talk about open source being like a cancer. I think there was the famous Steve Ballmer quote back in the day. And uh, I think at the time, it was also very much the differentiation was cost. Like it was free as in, in free mm. beer. Um, <clears throat> and I think we've... Over time, we've we've found a more nuanced way of looking at open source. It's not just about the money anymore. No, it's definitely companies... sorry. It's definitely not about cost. It's <laughs> it's an interesting one. As a you know a consumer, and I, I do have a Raspberry Pi or several yeah. in, at home. <laughs> I stream Spotify through them, you know, <laughs> as one does because um, it's cheap. But uh, yes, there is there is free for home use, and this there's always been yeah. this case. But yeah. once you start going into really serious stuff and business stuff then yeah yeah you have to pay yeah you do and i think uh, i think that's much more clear to companies now i think they're much more clear on on the the cost side and also what it means to to adopt open source in a more strategic way and and i think especially when you make these like bigger investments and choices as a big company mm. uh, i think uh, everyone has a greater understanding of well we should really think about what we adopt are we adopting something that's close to being a common standard in a given area or are we basically creating a dependency on something which is is losing mind, uh, market share and maybe also mind share and and so we will be forced to move away from it someday which mm. will be costly so i think those nuances is much more clear in bigger organizations today yes. um so it's no it's not so much the cost anymore and i think a lot of open source projects is also professionalized in that way that they now offer like enterprise level support they offer for like SaaS options and so on. Mm. Um, so the consumption of it has also changed in that direction as well, that, that companies yes. do want to have predictability and stability. Mm. I guess also, um, I mean, I guess also they, they, they don't want to be tied to one specific vendor. They, you know, this was the whole, you know, um, you know sort of commercial software as in um, yeah. versus open source software. And I know not everyone's going to delve into the open source code, but obviously, there's a lot of open source companies yeah. out there. So even if you don't have the skills to do that, someone else will. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's both like that's a double-edged sword for a lot of companies. I think that that open source give you access to technology you wouldn't have the capabilities of of doing yourself. Mm. Um, so you can kind of take a leap into an area where you wouldn't normally have the capabilities of doing this. So you'd have to buy it, and thereby mm. also you you would basically tie your innovation to a to a vendor. Yes. Rather than having it on your on your own, um, so that way, open source represents a freedom for especially like smaller companies who do not have have the budget or the the staff basically to to do these investments themselves. Mm. And there we see like the bigger open source projects that has really like brought a lot of companies forward tech wise and kind of leveled the playing field between small and big. Yeah. Um, that's really where open source has made a difference. Okay. And I think if we imagine a different kind of future where open source wasn't here, we would still see these big monopolies on technologies such as Oracle and Microsoft really serving mm. up like very specific, like very expensive kind of technologies, which mm. would really only be uh, approachable by by big enterprises and small companies would, would not be able to pay for these kind of things. Mm. I mean, that moves me on swiftly to the second question. 
not that Spotify is at all a small company. It's a huge company. But you started small and you grew. Yeah. And, and, you, and you're a user of, of open source software. Uh, yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah, so I think it's, we we used open source since, since the very beginning. When we were tiny, we used open source as a, as a quick leap into these markets. And I think at Spotify, we have we have developed a, a strategic approach to open source above everything else. Like we we look, of course, we have on the developer level, they they can pick and choose for a wide variety of, of libraries, and that's kind of their own assessment. Mm. But for like bigger strategic investments, we we consider strongly like is this a standard we can depend on for the next like longer period of time. I mean, we're not forced to move away from it. Mm. Um, and I think we, we felt this, uh, you say, pain on ourselves over time. Like we've, we've developed like several projects internally, which was at the time like novel. Like there was nothing outside the world. And that's why we mm. developed it ourselves. Um, but at the same time, a emerging open source standard appeared. And at some point, we were kind of forced to move away from these things we built ourselves and moved into an open source standard. So mm. Migration is always costly. And I think at, at large scale, that's, it's even more costly, of course. Sorry, I, I, mean, I just want to ask on that point, uh, where you have developed things yourself, uh, have, those, have some of those projects become open source? <laughs> I can I can give you two different examples, which is very different. On I think essentially on the day before Kubernetes was released, mm. we open sourced our own container orchestration layer, <laughs> <laughs> and so of course it became like very clear very fast that okay this is not going to go anywhere. We we will as anyone else will move to this guy common open source standard instead mm. of continue investing in our own thing. Yeah. Um, on the other end of the scale, in a more positive area, we we open sourced Backstage, and that was for the exact same reason we wanted to establish Backstage as a as an open source standard in the area of, of, of development portals. That's mm -hmm. what Backstage does, is a framework to create portals for developers. Uh, and we didn't want to just wait and see and keep it internal, but actually more drive the innovation in the space and thereby become like a market leader. And also mm -hmm. we can invest internally, but also ensure that this is like a thing that stays around so we can continue using it ourselves. Okay. <clears throat> and that, that works, does it? Where, I mean, there is a, I guess... If we were looking at a traditional business yeah. that, that was developing open source, because every every business wants to do digitization, wants to be yeah. do software, and they're attracted to this idea of open source, but they're also attached to this concept of who intellectual property and who owns it, and I think that's a hard one to, you know, how do you square that? Well, yeah, what do you do? And by by donating it to the open source community and giving mm -hmm. it to the open source community. There are going to be questions asked about who takes responsibility and do we lose our, our control over the, the direction of that product, that piece of software yeah. takes? Yeah, it's it's always a trade-off. And I think when you give something out into a broader community, you will lose some control. Mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the case of Backstates, uh, we have just set up a new governance model to, to spread control even further into our communities that we're sitting on mm -hmm. it ourselves because we think that's a healthy approach to ensure that we have longevity rather than control. I think that's more important. Um, and then the other part is, if you consider holding on to everything yourself, uh, you won't have the same speed of innovation compared to like a, a healthy open source community. Um, so it's always a trade-off and we, we prioritize speed over, over control in this case. Uh, of course, we, we still have a very strong vision for what Backstage should be, what things we can take from our internal source code repositories and take out into the open, therefore drive like select features. 
but it's it's definitely longevity over tight control in the in the short term. Okay, so we move on to the next question, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I was doing some googling, and I, I I've noticed that um, uh, Spotify uses uh, GitHub internally, and obviously, you know, GitHub is 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 a, is a way of distributing and pushing code into the yeah. open source community and making it accessible to other developers. Um, so. I mean, what has been the benefit of using GitHub in this way? Oh, what's well, the benefit? Sorry, I'll rephrase that. That's a silly one. Um, yeah, we're using GitHub, aren't you? But for the for our audience, um, the listeners of Computer Weekly, uh, who may not be that familiar, I mean, we're not talking about software developers. We're talking about people sort of at a bit more senior level who may not be yeah. familiar with this idea that. You know, you have these repositories, and you can mm. draw code in, and they're public rep- repositories. Yeah, and these can also be used internally and help internal teams. I, I just want to explore the benefits of having these things, these repositories, and why they why they work generally in software development. So you mean that what GitHub basically offers up to to developers? I think mm. for well, there's two different cases, right? We we use GitHub internally and externally quite differently. Um, externally, it it's it's just the common standard of building open source now, and it creates a very familiar way of working for developers across mm. the industry. And GitHub is more or less like seen as this neutral collaboration space where you put your projects, people from other companies or individuals can then see your code, they can contribute to it with, with pull requests, and they can open up issues uh, if they found like bugs in your software and so on. And mm. that's that's uh, for... I would say the large majority of developers, that's a very common tool to use. And yes. that's where you find your code and so on. So there's a familiarity and just like ease of working with something you already know. Mm. Inside of Spotify, we have a more or less completely open GitHub instance as well. So we have full visibility across all teams' projects. Some companies have a more like siloed approach where teams can only see the, the things they own. Mm-hmm. Whereas we have a more like fully open um, source code repository so so everyone can see everyone's code essentially so teams can also contribute to each other's repositories and there's like cross-team collaboration what you also known as inner source mm. um and i think have using the same tool both internally and externally um, goes well with our thinking about golden paths that you have like one standardized very efficient familiar way of doing things mm. um and that's that's a matter we have across our landscape that we have like one way of spinning up a back-end service we have one way of creating a website or mobile app and so on and having these like established golden paths is an efficient way for us to work at scale okay um <clears throat> so lo- looking at the let's look at the sort of some of the sort of public projects in the open source community what are the ones, uh, oh, you mentioned the ones that you're supporting, but what are the ones that you feel are, are really exciting at the moment? Um, that's a really good question. I think there's a lot of very interesting things happening in the AI ML space right now. I feel mm. like the, the, the speed of innovation that's happening in open source in this field right now is mm. quite impressive. Also driven by a lot of university research into machine learning models and natural language processing and so on. Um, it's interesting to see how stable diffusion has just innovated so fast compared yes. to something like OpenAI, which has been funded with billions, and they can still like keep up with them in a community effort. Mm. Um, the idea is that you can you can now install a, a Python library on your machine, and you can basically spin up new images by saying imagine, and then some set, sentence, and then it'll give you pictures back. Yes. 
and that's built on an enormous amount of of innovation and knowledge over time. And now yeah. it's just been commodified into like a, a command like client where you can just generate images, basically. Mm. Um, so I think that what's happening in that area is just like an interesting way that that again we are taking something that's highly complex and complicated and actually making it very approachable. Yes. Um, you don't need to be a machine learning PhD to understand this tool, mm. but it's it's just a massive amount of innovation that's a knowledge combined into like the simple command you can put into to a terminal. Mm. Do you, do you think that open source, as a as a way of thinking about just knowledge sharing, could it be used that way? I mean, I, I know there's obviously documentation that's open source because that's obviously part of what GitHub provides. Right, this is the yeah. use of it. You know, you can see there's a wiki page. You can see what's going on. Right. You, yeah. You know how to use the thing. There are examples of how to use the code, not just the code. And I was wondering whether that's. I mean, just sharing knowledge. I mean, even say these uh, machine learning um, models. Yeah. And and having a way of distributing that in in a. In a way that's not controlled, say, in the same way that academic papers are very, mm. very much controlled and yeah. effectively closed source. Yeah, I, yeah, I think there's a there's a there's a huge difference between a research paper and an open source uh, project in the mm. sense that you can you can take this down on your machine, you can run it, and you can see how it functions. You can dive into the details and mm. understand how what makes it tick. Mm. And I think for for engineers, this is of of great value because they might not have a use for this specific project, but they can see how it works and how it's developed, and both gain a lot of knowledge on how to build either something similar or even mm. like contribute to the thing. And so, so I think. Um, it it goes beyond like research. It gets like one step closer to actually being like a product or usable for engineers, which is yes. of great value. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> moving on a bit, let let me let me ask you about um, some of the challenges you see in the open source community. And you know, Computer Weekly has written about things like you know the security concerns, mm. uh, long term maintenance, uh, how you incentivize incentivize sorry developers who are working on projects uh, and, and make it worth their while, particularly the, the mm. small components that they have to develop. And then they feel that it's a noose around their neck, right? Yep. Why, did, why did I develop this thing? <laughs> <laughs> there are, I think a lot of these things are interconnected. Um, mm. And uh, as you mentioned, these like these projects, that's like these like smaller lower level components that no one really cares about, no one really sees. And mm. it's just a dependency long, long down the tree. Um, <clears throat> I think we have a we have an enormous like financial sustainability problem in open source in the ecosystem as a whole. Mm. I think that there's a large part of maintainers who are underpaid or underappreciated and also stressed about the, the rising demands on maintainers. We're mm. seeing now this big push on security and, and we do have a security problem. But I think a lot of the problem comes from lack of maintainers being involved in the project because they simply don't have the time or they're not paid for it and they are running out of evenings and weekends to do this kind of work. Yeah. Um, and it's it's still not a common practice for companies to support projects financially. Mm. Um, and we need to normalize that a bit more, that, that, that companies who do consume a lot of open source should also try to fund these projects. And there's a, there's a whole set of challenges doing that. Mm. And then I think this... Um, this expectation that people sometimes work out of passion for open source is also part of the problem. And I think we, we do need to move away from that because if a open source developer is expected to spend evenings and weekends and be full of passion for open source, that is a very specific kind of person. That is some someone who has 
no household chores, has mm. no kids to maintain, no family life, no sick relatives. It's not sustainable Maybe, either. It's not sustainable. And again, it's like a very specific type of person. Mm. And so, and uh, to be a little bit blunt, it's 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 a it's a twenty year old white guy, mm. <laughs> and that's a, that's a small subset of the population. And it kind of plays into that open source has a diversity problem as well. Yeah. Uh, we need to level the playing field here and make sure that we have more people who, who do not necessarily want to code JavaScript on a Sunday evening. Um, mm. I personally like that, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> but that's not for everyone. And I don't think that should be the bar because mm. uh, if you look at, at job ads for tech companies, then, then open source experience is one of the most desired skills you can get from a tech worker. Mm. And if we're kind of blocking a large majority of the population from... Uh, actually getting that skill without spending evenings or weekends on this, and then we are just uh, continuing to create an uneven like adv advantage for a, a small subset of people. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, th I think there's, there is a risk, and this goes back to, you know, people, ma maintainers, where they're not really supported, they do it out of the passion for yeah. doing it. But when people are starting to use these open source products and they want an answer. Sometimes it's hard <laughs> to get an answer quickly yeah. and that can be very off-putting and very yeah. challenging. And, you know, one can see, oh, feel that, oh, well, I I'm being ignored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course you are because you're, you're not, you don't have, you don't have a service level agreement with this provider. You, mm. It's not a vendor. You're not paying the yes. person. So yes. there's no vendor relationship. There's, as I saw the other day, like, there is. We talk so much about supply chain security uh, mm -hmm. in the open source, and and one of these open source products just dryly noted. Well, you're not paying us, so we are not a supplier. So you don't have a supply chain. Mm. Yes, <laughs> and that's kind of part of the equation here. That I think big companies who consume open source, they don't have suppliers. They have people who voluntarily put time and effort into something they've they've grown to be very dependent on. Mm. Um, but I think if I was I was part of a security team that managed Log4j when there was a thing last year. Yes. Um, and I think it was interesting to see how these poor maintainers who were, again, spending their free time on this project just got overwhelmed by security companies and big enterprises just basically yelling at them for not handling this fast enough. Mm. Um, and at the same time, these big companies had no idea where this project was used or how to fix it themselves. Mm. Because, again, it was just something they took off the shelf they didn't actually look into the technology and understood like, oh, this is how it actually works. They just consumed it blindly. And so I think uh, we do need to be a bit more careful. Not careful is the wrong word. We need to be more thoughtful about how we consume these things and actually understand them so that these consumers can actually also jump in and, and actually help the projects when these kind of problems arises. Well, certainly so, the big security firms had the resources to help if they needed yeah. to. Well, no, I'm sure they did, but it was... yeah, yeah. But again, like uh, pointing out the problem and making like an alert about an issue in an open source project, that's not solving the problem. That's just mm. creating more like noise in the system. And yes. again, that just goes back on the maintainers and they're getting yelled at. Um, I think consumers also need to be part of the solution here. And that's kind of the trade you make when you consume open source, that you should also start training your staff and actually being able to contribute to these things. And then they can actually also solve their own problems with this. Mm. And that's also an advantage and risk, uh, you could say, minimization technique. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to ask you, uh, this is an odd question actually, but I, I think it's important given the geopolitical situation mm. that we, we find ourselves in. And I'm sure there are organizations out there that, you know, in the commercial space, it's quite easy to stop products from being 
imported or mm. ex- exported, you know, selling to countries that you're not supposed to sell to and things like that. Yeah. But open source is open source. is open, <laughs> right? By its nature, it says it in the title. Um, I mean, is there a risk that, you know, governments, not just a government, say not just for the sake of argument, the US government or the UK government or the German government or whoever, mm. is going to say, no, we don't want to export this particular innovation, this particular open source innovation mm. to this particular country. We think it's a bad thing to do. Is there a risk yeah. that's happening? Or, or do you sense that the, the politicians are trying to make this happen? I think there's definitely, we can definitely see that there's more, you can say, a separation between the different um, nations now. We, we in Europe, we have a great fear of like technology from China. Mm-hmm. We've seen Iranians and Russians being like cut out from, from, from technology participation and so on. And mm-hmm. I think in regards to open source, I think it just underlines the importance of having these neutral spaces where people can collaborate. Uh, because open source is largely apolitical mm-hmm. and should be an even like equal playing field for everyone. There should be equal opportunity for everyone. That's why, like organizations like the Linux Foundation and the CNCF is a neutral space. GitHub is a somewhat neutral space, even though it's owned by Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, universities and academia is a is a somewhat neutral space, and we need to make sure they continue to be there, um, so that we can continue collaborating, even though governments are in con- in conflict. Mm-hmm. I think the you know the you, you get the sand bites from the from government, <laughs> yeah. but I guess if the if the code is open source, you can analyze every single line of it, and, and yeah. if you really wanted to and understand if there are issues that you don't really like or things that shouldn't be happening. If you had the time and resources to do that, you can do it. It's open yeah. source, right? Yeah, for, for a long time, we have, at least in Europe, been dependent on, on hardware and embedded devices from, from among other places like mm-hmm. China. Yes. And we have no idea what's inside the box, basically, because it's closed source. We don't know what's in the thing. It's not to create any kind of suspicion about that thing, but but um, but we have, we have consumed those things. Uh, and open source, yes, you can see what's inside the box. And I think as a consumer, you should always make the safety precautions that's relevant for you. If, mm. you're, if you're running something where you want to avoid espionage or <laughs> being hacked and so on, then you should, you should put yourself your own measures in place to make mm. sure you scan the software and so on. Um, and there you have so much better options with open source software yes. because you know what is in the source code. Um, and um, that's definitely an advantage. Mm. And at the same time, like the, the discussion is always like, oh, because it's open collaboration, anyone can put code in there. That is not how it works. Like mm. all code in these bigger open source projects are vetted and scanned and looked yes. at by multiple people. Um, and so I, I definitely, in, in for those kinds of things, I definitely have greater trust in the security of those like high profile things like embedded mm. Linux and so on, rather than getting a black box where I don't know what's inside of it. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, so finally, I mean, looking at your experience in open source, and I think, I know, I know the answer to this one, but I have to ask it because it's down on my list of questions to ask you. But um, what would you? What's your one piece of advice to our listeners, uh, the people listening in today, who are, I would say, sort of you know enterprise software developers mm. or people in yeah. enterprise, enterprise IT decision makers. Yeah, yeah. So um, you have to realize you already depending and consuming a lot of open source. You might have a policy that says you don't, but you are. And the best thing you can do for your business and your employees is to 
prioritize investing in that technology you so depend on. And that might be enabling your employees to engage in it so they have a better understanding of the technology. And if something goes wrong, you can fix things yourself. Mm-hmm. Or on the other side, invest in it financially. Invest in the companies that have enterprise support, for instance. Uh, give them funding and so on so that you treat them more as a vendor in a professional mm-hmm. way rather than something you just get for free. Yes. Um, that is the good long-term like relationship with these projects where... It's it's a risk reduction mechanism, and I think that's mm. like healthy for you and the projects. Absolutely. Well, Pat, thank you ever so much. Uh, it's been lovely talking to you, and thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.